what I want to talk to you about today is patience. I think this is probably a really good time for this message because every other country in the world can conduct an election and tell you that night who won. We used to be able to do that. This is an interesting time we live in and it's going to call for some patience. So let's talk about patience. And I'm going to do that in the context of Musar. For those of you who have been through the Musar course, this will be review, but it's a good review. And what I want to talk about, patience in terms of care of the soul. Now, there's a guy named James Kugel, who's a Jew, he's not a messianic, very, very bright guy, written a number of books, all of which I enjoy very much. And he calls the soul the double agent. There's a rabbinic story or parable, if you will, about a man who marries the king's daughter. And one day he goes into the king and the king looks at him and says, what's this I hear that you've been beating your servants? The guy says, how did you know about that? And so he goes back and he asks his servant, who's ratting me out? And the servant says, uh, you married the daughter of the king. The daughter talks to her father. So that's what you should expect. And your soul is somewhat like that. There's part of it that's accessible to you that you can deal with, but there's also part of it that is not accessible to you. And what happens is your soul records everything that you do and whatever happens to you. And as I say, some of it's accessible to you, some of it's not. What both Christians and Jews believe is when you finally pass from this earth, your soul goes back to the Lord who gave it to you. The clay goes into the ground, and your soul and spirit go back to God. Proverbs 20:27. 20, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching out all his innermost parts. So whose lamp is it? The lamp of the Lord. But it's your soul. Belongs to you, it's part of you, it's part of what makes you you, but it's also the lamp of the Lord which searches you out. The other thing is, even though you don't always communicate with it, you know what its state is. And the, the metaphor I would use there is marriage. Most of you here have been married at one time or another or are married now. And one of the things that you all know is you can tell what the mental state of your spouse is even though you may not know precisely what's going on. Your soul is like that. Psalm 42.5 Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the psalmist here is talking to his soul as a man might talk to his wife. What are you upset about? That's the question that the psalmist is asking. He doesn't precisely know. He has to ask. Now, the soul is given to you, and you have to take care of it. And going back to our metaphor of the daughter of the king, you have a marriage between the man and the daughter of the king. It's the man's job to care for the daughter of the king even though she's the daughter of the king, and so forth. It's your job to care for your soul. And you can damage it if you don't care.
care for it properly, it can become damaged. And by the way, when it does become damaged, as it does with all of us from time to time, the one who can repair that damage is God. And again, I will give you an example in here. It's Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So David has stained his soul with the affair with Bathsheba. David goes to God and says, I need to be repaired. He repents which is the precursor to having God repair it, but it's to God he goes. And by the way, that goes to all sorts of things. For example, you can take that to work salvation. The idea that you can save yourself, no, you can't. Because the soul is given to you by God, and you have stewardship over it, but if you damage it, he's the one that has to repair it. What we do as we go through life, we are building up, we hope, our soul. I've said many times, and you've all heard this lots of times, the earth that we live on is a machine that enables us to build our souls. That's what we're here for. Now, one of the things I will suggest to you is we go through life, our focus is on life, and certainly we have a focus on eternity, but we sort of got our head down and our butt up and we're going through our life and every now and then we sort of pop up and oh yeah I've got a greater purpose here but most of the time is spent living life and that's okay one of the things to understand is the purpose of school and this earth that we live in in a sense is a school it's the place where we are trained and educated the purpose of a school is not school the purpose of a school is what you're going to do when you graduate. We get bound up in the classes we're taking, the lessons we're learning, all of the stuff that we're doing here in school, and that consumes all of our attention. But understand that the purpose of the school is not school. The purpose of the school is to prepare you for a career that comes after you graduate from school. What that tells you then is that when you do graduate, which is to say you move from here to eternity, you move from here to presence of God, all that kind of stuff, there's stuff that you are going to be expected to do when you get there. He's preparing you for something. And he's preparing each of us for something different, by the way. We've all got different talents, all got different proclivities all got different interests and all that kind of stuff so it is not the case that he's making us all like little eggs in a carton he's making us different but he's got a purpose for each of us and the school that we're going through right now is to prepare us for that purpose now how many of you have heard that you want to become Christ-like that's true sort of you don't want to become Christ because he's Christ and you're not what you want is to have your character be something that Christ would look at and say, yeah, cool. Your courage, your trust, your patience, 
your enthusiasm, all of those kinds of things are things that are pleasing to me and in that sense you have become Christ-like. Again, you're not going to become Christ, you are going to become like him in the sense that your character is as pleasing to God as his is. Because remember, as I've said many times, if, for example, Ken and I were just alike, then one of us would be redundant. So none of us is redundant. We are all unique. So when it says become Christ-like, what it says is shape your character in such a way that God would be as pleased with your character as he is with the character of his son. And I can give you a scripture for that if you like. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. So the idea here is not that you're all supposed to be the same, but you're all supposed to be a community, unified, and your characters are supposed to be pleasing to God. So, having laid all that out, let's talk about patience, which is one of the soul traits. And as I say, it happens to be one that I think we all need right now. Now, the Hebrew word for patience is savlanut, and it's the same root as savel, which means to suffer. It's the same root as sivlot, which means burdens. This doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? It isn't, okay? It's not supposed to be pleasant. The exercise of patience itself is unpleasant, but the fruit of a patient character is pleasant. So it's just like anything else that requires work, discipline, sacrifice, delayed gratification, all of those things. None of those is pleasant. Nobody likes delaying gratification. I want it now. Nobody likes hard work and discipline. I want to just know. I don't want to have to study. I just want it. I don't have to work for it. So all of those things which are in themselves unpleasant lead to fruits which are pleasant. And patience is one of those character traits. In other words, if you are not suffering when you're exercising patience, you're exercising something else. It isn't patience. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you're waiting in line at the grocery store, and some little old lady is in front of you, and she's opened up her purse, and she's searching around for two pennies so she will have exact change. And she can't find the two pennies, but she's got to keep searching until she finds them. And you're standing in back there, and you've got your car out in the parking lot idling, and you're kind of in a hurry, and you're going like this. If you refrain from making a scene, you're exercising patience. If you don't care, you are exercising equanimity, different character trait. So you may stand there and just be, oh, okay, fine, I'm standing here, I've got nothing else to do, uh, little old lady, looks like a nice person, take your time, no problem whatsoever, that's not patience. By the way, nothing wrong with that, but just understand it's not patience. Patience is when 
you're doing this and you're bouncing up and down and you're saying, I'll give you the two cents, just get moving. That's patience. Do you understand the difference? Oh, by the way, has anybody ever been a patient in a doctor's office? Contrary to what you may think, that doesn't mean that you are sitting there because the doctor has overscheduled and you're going to have to sit there for a half an hour. He told you to be there at 10.30 and he's not going to see you at 11.15. You're not being patient simply because you are putting up with that. You are being patient because you're suffering. In other words, the reason that you are in the doctor's office is you are sick. So a patient, the Latin root for that word, same as Hebrew, is suffering. A patient in a doctor's office is someone who is suffering, not someone who is sitting there because the doctor isn't going to be able to see him for a half an hour later than when he came. Same root. So the idea here of patience is suffering or a burden. Now, hindrances. What keeps you from being patient? Well, the first one, obviously, is pride. My time is just as valuable as that doctor's time is. How come I'm sitting here for half an hour when he told me to be here at 10.30 and he's not going to see me till 11.15? I'm just as important as he is. So I am impatient. That's pride. How dare you treat me like that? I've got somewhere to be. How dare you be in my way? That's pride. So that's the first hindrance. The second one is fear. If I don't get this done in time or I don't get where I need to be in time, there's going to be some adverse consequence that is going to cause me or somebody else damage. So that's fear, which is a source of impatience. In other words, it's not particularly your pride that's a problem. It's if this doesn't happen here, something bad's going to happen and I'm afraid. And then the final reason is desire, which is to say, I want the fruit without waiting for the summer to pass and the tree to do its thing. I want my fruit now. I don't want to go through the process that it is going to take to get me from here to there. I want it now. That's desire. So those are the things that are hindrances to exercising patience. Now, why do you want to exercise patience? Well, because often the results of not exercising patience can be extremely damaging. Let me give you an example. My dear mother used to just drive us all berserk because she was never on time for anything. To include her cremation. Don't ask me why, but it's true. And we would all just get angry and frustrated and start yelling at her and start yelling because she was always late. So the consequence of not exercising patience is anger, rage. And what you wind up doing then is you wind up damaging relationships. You wind up making the situation much worse than it has to be by not exercising patience. And again, remember, patience is not pleasant. So if you're in a situation where you're becoming impatient, look at your internal temperature. And if you can see yourself becoming impatient, 
then you've got a decision to make. Am I going to exercise patience or am I going to slide over here into doing something that is potentially damaging? That's the reason for the character trait of patience is to give you this opportunity to avoid sliding over into anger, rage, or something else which is going to cause serious damage. And one of the things that we talked about in Musar, and I'll just briefly repeat, learn to think about what you're thinking about. Which is to say, you set a watcher in your head. And that watcher watches what you're thinking about. Really, really useful. I will get up in the morning and something will go through my head and I'll be thinking about that and I'll look at it and say, wait a minute, I don't want that at all. That could be any number of things. It could be spiritual influence, it could be whatever. But learn to think about what you're thinking about. And set yourself a watch. And that way when you come into a situation where patience is the appropriate character trait, and you can see your emotional temperature just going like this, you can look and you can say, wait a minute, this is getting out of control. Stop. I'm going to choose to exercise patience. Or I'm going to choose to kill somebody. I mean, it can go either way. But make sure that you are choosing what you want to do as opposed to simply letting your emotions drag you wherever they want to go. That's what I'm talking about. One of the things about this world is, as I said, it's a schoolhouse, a place for developing your character. And one of the things that teaches people is pain. Anybody ever swatted a puppy on the nose or a two-year-old on the diaper? Sure. The point is, what pain does is it gets your attention. And one hopes that it teaches you to avoid the behavior that caused that pain to happen. And it works for puppies, and it works for adults, and it works for children, and it works for everybody. So the idea that the character trait of patience is unpleasant is perfectly understandable. It's like the swat on the nose with a newspaper of the puppy. This is unpleasant. Avoid the situation that causes it to be unpleasant. And that can lead to all sorts of things. It can lead to developing the character trait of equanimity. It can lead to planning so that you're not in that situation the next time. It can lead to all sorts of things. But the unpleasantness of patience is sort of like the swat on the nose of a puppy with a newspaper, it is to get your attention and cause you to grow. Now, there's a spectrum. And the spectrum starts on one side with impatience, and it goes up to the other side, which is passivity. Both impatience and passivity are bad. What you don't want to do is become passive. So everything that happens in your life, you say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. God's in control, and I'll just sit here and watch it go by. That's not good. Neither is impatience. 
You want to be somewhere in the middle. You want to exercise patience when appropriate, and you want to take action when appropriate. You're here to take action. You're here to do stuff. So patience or passivity may not be the appropriate thing. You may, in fact, when you see our iconic little old lady here with her corn purse, what you may do is reach into your pocket and hand her two pennies and say, have a wonderful day. That's taking action. Nobody's hurt, nobody's grumpy, but you're doing something to alleviate the situation and move on. In fact, one of the things that's sort of trending has been for the last five or ten years is people will pay people's bills at fast food stores and stuff like that. I suspect some of that started with impatience, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. You understand. But I suspect some of it is, <laughs> I'll pay your bill. So the other part of that is, do not be patient with somebody else's suffering. If you see somebody suffering and you can help, step in and help. Failing to help someone who is suffering is not patience because you're not hurting. Remember, patience only counts when you're the one that's hurting, when you're the one that's bearing the burden. So if you see somebody that is being mistreated, whatever, Step in and help. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm just being patient. We'll see how this all comes out. That's not patience. That's passivity. And again, you don't want to do that. I will close here with a quote from Rabbi Leffen. wrote a book called Heshbon HaNefesh, which means accounting of the soul. Uh, it's quite a good book, by the way. It says, woe to the pampered one who has never been trained to be patient either today or in the future. He is destined to sip from the cup of affliction. So again, patience itself is not pleasant, but the fruit of patience is very pleasant. So as we are sitting here doing this, as people are doing whatever they're doing with the votes, I question whether they're actually counting them, but they're doing something with them. As we're sitting here, exercise some patience and understand that patience is unpleasant. Patience is not something you want to go through, but be of good cheer. It will all end at some point, and we will then decide what to do next. And I don't know what that's going to be, quite frankly, right now. <laughs>